Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition. He is Zach. My name is Braden. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the program. Of course, this is not the Cast Collective studio because we have been kicked out of our studio today, Zach, by a country music star. And when a country music star wants to use the studio, you say okay. That's what happens. How are you, Zach? I'm I'm doing good. You know, I don't mind. I had a busy, long day yesterday. I was like, there were three. I was on the interstate in three different parts, three different wrecks had it standstill traffic. It was like one of those days. So I got home and like, I just went to town on some beer. So I'm feeling <laughs> good today though. Feeling good. I like it. I like it. Uh, beer is always a good way to end one of those days. And uh, I promised lots of really good stuff today on the show. We promise you uh, we're going to dive into the Arch Manning commitment to Texas. What does that mean for the SEC? I think it means a lot of fun stuff. Uh, we're going to take means a- absolutely nothing. Okay. Okay. The first of what should be many discussions and arguments on the show today. Lots of disagreement on the program uh, today. Uh, authentic, of course. No empty calories. No, no fake fabricated debates on the show. Uh, we're going to talk about SEC East quarterbacks a little bit later on. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on a lot of different guys in the East. So we'll dive into that. Next week, we'll dive into the SEC West. But today, we'll focus on those quarterbacks in the East. Hendon Hooker, Will Levis, Spencer Rattler. All those guys in the East will dive into that. We will take a deep look at the Indianapolis Colts. Why does Vegas have them winning the division? Why are people high on the Indianapolis Colts? We'll take a look at what they've done this offseason and begin our sort of AFC uh, whip around or whatever you want to call it. Uh, And of course, we've got some Jenga pieces that we will explain what that means for Tennessee Titans fans here in just a second. Which players are the Jenga pieces since Zach, you and I have played some epic games of Jenga in the past, literally that went on forever. Undefeated. Um, uh, th- th- this will not. This will be heated and intense and fun. But I do. I do not believe we'll be as as emotional as some of the other shows we've done this week across Broadway Sports Media and the 440 Sports Network. Um, shout out to um, Michael Gillum, Mr. Lebowski, uh, Big Lebowski. Thank you so much for him and all the work he's done for F Words. I know you guys taped your last episode uh, this week, and so go check that out. Fantastic episode to really live hear sort of about the history of that pod. Uh, and special thanks to Adam Vingan, who is no longer with The Athletic and no longer the host of the Gold Standard Podcast. Both of those shows have lots of fun things coming for you. They are not ending. They are not stopping. They are only now transitioning to a new chapter. Uh, so we are not going to be that emotional on the show, Zach. We, you will be my, my therapy host today, if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I will be as straight and narrow emotionally as possible. <laughs> yes, yes, as, as will I. Uh, of course, special thanks to our title sponsor, the Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Make sure you check that out. Uh, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. If you need any work on your house, talk to the professionals, the people that know Nashville and homes the best, buildkg.com. We love and appreciate their support. We love and appreciate your support. And Zach, what should they be doing to support this show? They should be on YouTube. They should be on Facebook. They should be on Twitter. However they consume this live show and sharing it to everybody. Turn, make sure that whenever whatever you're using to follow this show, turn on notifications for that account. But tell your friends, tell your friend, families, tell everybody you know. The Postman, I think uh, people still talk to Postman if, and women. I'm I do. I'm not really sure, but... Do you, know. do you talk to yours? Oh, no, I don't talk to anybody in my neighborhood. <laughs> I have like- no interest in making new friends. <laughs> I, I we have a wonderful post lady woman, she's fantastic. I love her. She she does a extra. She goes the extra mile. You know, if a package is a little bit big and needs to be hidden around a post, she does a good job with it. So shout out to Lynn, our our fantastic post lady here in the neighborhood. Um, all right. So our first topic today on the show, Jenga pieces for the Tennessee Titans. I'm th- th- this is about 
a Super Bowl built foundation and structure for the Tennessee Titans. And if you remove this player, the entire thing comes crashing down. That is the gist of this discussion, correct? Correct. Correct. It's it's the basically the piece that if this team were to lose that piece now, or let's say even in the preseason, they're probably going to have a hard time duplicating the success of last year or at least getting to that winning record. Let me ask you, how when you sat down to, to write the names, because the obvious one is the quarterback, how many... It's the only one. I was going to say, how many names would you even consider on a top tier of Jenga pieces? If you had to put a, like a, num- a couple of names up there, how many would you consider? I, I would go Ryan Tannehill is obviously number one, and then a close to, but like... One's up here. See, this is why you should be watching the show so you can see what I'm doing. One is up here, Ryan Tannehill. Here's number two, Ben Jones. And then here's really? everybody else. Everybody ben else is way after this. He's the Fascin- only one. Fascinating. Well, to me, Ben Jones is the only offensive lineman that has played consistently well. And we've never really seen what this offensive line is without him. <laughs> But we have seen this offensive line succeed in certain areas with uh, the other people missing. So I think yeah. that everybody else is just kind of, you know, I think you got your Lawan, Derrick Henry, Robert Woods, Austin Hooper. They're all kind of the same. But it's really just Ryan Tannehill. And didn't he just prove that last year? This team went 12-5. and five. Everybody else got injured. Everybody else missed games uh, all throughout the year. He was the stalwart. He kept it together. His leadership talent debatable kept it together but his leadership his availability kept this team afloat kept this team to 12 and 5 i mean it's just you take him out i think you're looking at 8 and 8 7 and 9 team more than or well sorry 8 and 9 <laughs> 9 and 8 sorry i get used so, to that it's so stupid i hate it he's at least a 2 to 3 game difference for this team oh easily easily and and i would argue that the starting quarterback is number 1 on every one of these teams in nfl and college with the exception of the teams that are so bad that it doesn't matter, right? Like I would that. I would say the Colts would be one of those teams that the quarterback does not matter. Oh, okay. A little preview of our what is sounding like it's going to be a very hot debate about the Indianapolis Colts coming up in just a second. I I started with, I put three names down because like I tried to go outside of Tannehill because I agree that it's Tannehill. I think the answer is if you remove Ryan Tannehill, th- he is the single biggest war, right? Wins above replacement. Like he is the single biggest player on the team that if you remove him, it affects the, the win-loss record the most. The only other two names, and you've already sort of convinced me to, to to rethink this, the two names I wrote down were Taylor Lewan and Jeffrey Simmons, because I think Jeffrey Simmons is the starting point for the entire defensive game plan. And if you do not have to game plan for Aaron Donald, your preparation changes about the outside guys, the linebackers, the corners, and the safeties. Like He changes the way you scheme for everything, but it's not the same as a quarterback. And your point about Lawan is valid. Like when he's missed some time, they actually ran the ball well with Derrick Henry like two years ago when he missed time with the ACL. I guess maybe if you get the best version of Taylor Lawan, maybe that's what I'm thinking in my head. That if you get the best possible version of Taylor Lawan, that that piece is almost irreplaceable because if you remove that piece, then the offensive line could go to shit. It's just, does that, does that make just, sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But I also look at it this way it's been about a year and a half since we've seen that guy. And there's no guarantee that he is still that guy. Now, he may still be a, a slightly above average, you know, yeah. left tackle, but he not may not be the top five left tackle that he was just a year and a half ago before he went down with that ACL injury. So it's just, you know, yeah. 
it's, who, it's, who replaces it's, Ben Jones? That, that's that's that, I, think, the I mean, Aaron Brewer, and I think that is yeah. then you, you're taking another piece away from the offensive line because technically Aaron Brewer would be the left guard, should be the left guard right now as the team sits. So if you take him out and put him to tackle or to center, then you're putting Jamarco Jones in there. You are way worse in the middle of that offensive line than you have been in a very, very long time. I guess would Raidens be the guy penciled in to take over if Lawan got hurt? Is that what we would? Assume? Yeah, I would say Lawan or Raidens would go over there, and he's shown that he's acceptable over there. And it's not that much of a drop off of you. The famous San Francisco 49ers right. game where Dylan Raidens became an All Star, All Pro, Hall of Fame left tackle overnight, <laughs> and then MPF over on the right. That to me would still be just. Not maybe not as good, but it's not a hindrance to the team winning games. Yeah, I, I think you can, can. I think I could be convinced very easily and quickly that Ben Jones, also the position you play where you're calling all the protections, you're sort of the quarterback of the offensive line. Uh, from a culture standpoint, he's as important as it gets in, in that in that locker room. And I do think, and we'll get to this with the Colts as well. Like I think the offensive line, we've talked about this over and over again. The offensive line is by far the most important piece of this entire team right now, uh, assuming everybody else is healthy. So. But I mean, again, Ryan Tannehill, like there are people that would argue Malik Willis has a chance to keep this team as a potentially a winning record, you know, a nine and eight type of team. I don't see that as being possible yet. I think he's got it in him in the future. But I, I, don't, I don't know how many teams in the NFL would not it would not be the quarterback. I don't know. That's the well, I, I would say probably the Colts. Uh, would be up there because their offense runs through Jonathan Taylor. And if Jonathan Taylor goes down, Matt Ryan or even Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, who is prone to mistakes, Matt Ryan, who has a failing arm w without any real legitimate pass catchers. I mean, we're talking Michael Pittman and nobody else. I mean, there's nobody else a team would be scared of. So I feel like Matt Ryan without a John and the Colts without a Jonathan Taylor back there would have a really hard time moving the ball. So I would say that him, the Browns, I would, the Browns minus Watson. Um, like, like I mean, meaning Watson's if Baker's still there, I guess if, if with two rod Taylor there, he could keep them afloat or is it Jacoby Brissett? It's, it's Jacoby, it's Jacoby Brissett and Josh Dobbs. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two penciled in starters. They, take either they one of those. could maybe keep the same amount of wins. Yeah. Because Deshaun, we'll see, because Deshaun Watson's better be getting suspended. So we'll yeah, no, see I'm, what that team I'm, looks like. I would say no matter what you do in Seattle with any of the quarterbacks that they have available, you're looking at the same. Right. Uh, I think you could argue that Jacksonville's not going to really have that wow. much of a drop off between what Trevor Lawrence is and, and all that, because I'm still not sold on Trevor Lawrence being the guy. I, the Bears, the Bears would be a good example. Uh, uh, they don't have anybody to throw to. If their quarterback went down, it doesn't really matter. It matters to him. Man. But there's a there's a quite this a is... lot of teams, I feel like, that don't have a answer at quarterback where the or the quarterback is the focal point of the offense at this point. They're just kind of him hawing around, I feel I, like. I can I could be convinced to get on board with you about Justin Fields because the guy is just such a slow processor right now that he he is when he's great, it's amazing, but most of the time he's struggling. I, I will not agree with you on Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is a is that was Urban Meyer. That that was an Urban Meyer dumpster I fire. Think so. I, I it, think I think that was a lot of it. But I mean, you you watch Trevor Lawrence's tape. 
Trevor Lawrence was not good. Regardless, uh, Urban Meyer wasn't out there throwing the balls and making the decision and misputting them, putting the ball not where it's supposed to go in another team's hand. Now, he did a lot of damage for the team as a whole and in the locker room. But at the end of the day, the players got to take responsibility for what they do on the field. And he was not putting the ball where he's supposed to, right? I mean, he was he was Cincinnati Bengals playoff game, Ryan Tannehill for 17 games. I, he will be, I will say. I, he will be he, better, but am I thinking that they're, they're, they're never going to be a threat? I don't think that Doug Peterson is, is any, is, is some big quarterback guru like everybody wants to say he is. And everybody wants to, it's kind of like um, they're overinflating it just because they want Trevor Lawrence to be good and they all want to be proven right. I, I don't, I think that while they'll, they'll be better, they're like a five win team. I, so I agree with you on Doug Peterson. I don't think he's some savior. Um, and I could give a shit whether I'm right or wrong. I just think Trevor Lawrence is really good. And I think he's going to end up being significantly better this year. I don't think he's good enough to challenge you know, all pro status or division title or be good enough to carry that franchise yet because I think they have bigger problems, but I think he will be significantly better this year. And I, again, I don't, I don't, who cares if we'll I'm go, right or wrong. When we talk about the Jaguars next week, yeah. we'll go through his stats yeah. and we'll talk about what you, you're going to have to define what significantly okay. better is. Okay. We're going to hold you to it. You're setting the bar pretty low for me though. So I get to anything better than that. I feel like is, is pretty good. Be okay. Significantly better. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right, we'll do that next week on the show, along with uh, quarterbacks from the SEC West. Today, we'll do later on quarterbacks in the SEC East, Arch Manning's commitment to Texas. But let's dive into the Colts here for a while because it is a two-horse race, no pun intended, in this division for the AFC South. The Colts are technically the favorite right now, the betting favorite, according to Vegas. Um, And they both have nine and a half over under, depending on what book you're looking at uh, across the board. So I, I guess you, I am probably higher on the Indianapolis Colts in general than you are. And I think, tell, tell me if you agree or disagree with this particular statement about the quarterback position. I think Matt Ryan is objectively better at everything than Carson Wentz, except for fantasy stats. Is that a fair statement? Well, if he's it, fantasy stats matter in the sense of then you're talking about stats themselves, right? I mean, I, I think Matt Ryan is more accurate he'll be more accurate in this in this offense I don't think he has the arm talent that Carson Wentz did now that arm talent was not killed them and a lot of it was getting defensive pass interference calls um on you know in his favor so in my mind I don't think there's I think you're looking at Phillip Rivers Indianapolis Colts but here's the problem with the Philip Rivers Indianapolis Colts. That Tennessee Titans defense that year is gone. The 2020 Tennessee Titans defense is gone. And so I think that with, with when you got Darius Leonard having back surgery, who's already had ankle injuries and issues, it, it, while they don't necessarily miss him, he still is a leader on this team. When he's off the field, his presence is felt. It's just a different kind of defense that you're seeing. There's no Matt Eberflus, so we really don't know. Is Gus Bradley really going to be the guy that can keep this defense afloat? You know, they all want to talk about um, uh, Stephen uh, Stephon Gilmore is over there, and they they want to talk about you know how he's going to be something. Well, he's like 32 now. He's been battling a little bit of injury issues. To me, they're they're aging at the wrong time. 
for supposedly a really good uh, GM to let this happen. Whereas the Titans are getting younger, yeah, technically, and their and their defense has gotten exponentially better. So I look at it this way: the Philip Rivers Colts wasn't as good as their record indicated. They got a couple of games at the end of the year where other teams had just given up trying to do any kind of defense. Uh, the Raiders and the uh, the Jaguars in particularly. So they got a couple of easy wins just because Jonathan Taylor went off against those teams. And then you also have the, the Colts or the Titans disaster class where they had a punter that they picked up off the the street, just ruining the game for the Tennessee Titans. I think that they're going to utilize Naheem Hines more too. So when you get into that, you're taking stuff away from Jonathan Taylor, which was, is a, uh, Frank Reich special for some reason. He Jonathan Taylor gets hot and he's like, okay, we're gonna cool him off for a little bit and then put in other other players. So I don't know. I I think the Colts will win, but I think they'll be just as good as they were last year, which wasn't good enough to do anything. So I my overarching analysis of the team is probably not too different than what you're saying. I probably agree that. They are a winning team with a winning record because Frank Reich's done that three out of four years, and his record as a head coach is virtually identical to that of Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel's 41 and 24. Frank Reich is 37 and 28. So Vrabel's a couple, four games better. So that is better. Um, but three winning seasons, two playoff trips for Frank Reich. Their offense, this is the best quarterback since Andrew Luck, I would argue. Um, uh, Philip Rivers was better than we'll Matt see. Ryan is right now. We'll see. Uh, I think if Matt Ryan's arm is dead, then I agree with you. If it is not, then I would go with with Matt Ryan, but we'll see. The passing rate, to your point, under Frank Reich's offense has gone down every single year from Andrew Luck to last season with with Carson Wentz, which makes sense (laughs) as Jonathan Taylor increases his production. They went out and drafted a bunch of weapons, very similarly to the Titans. They went out and got Alex Pierce, who, if anything, is going to add speed. They went out. Michael Pittman's in his third year developing. Um, You know, his numbers were pretty good last year. I'm a Michael Pittman guy. I don't think he's an elite player, but I think he's good. Um, Hines is one of the best running backs in the NFL when lined up as a wide receiver. Um, so maybe you can use him as a complimentary piece instead of taking away from Taylor. The big question on the offense for me, and here's, here's an interesting number. I don't know if you noticed this, but last year their scoring offense was ninth in the NFL and their scoring defense was ninth in the NFL. Their, their total offensive production was 16th in the NFL and their total defensive production was 16th in the NFL, which is just super freaking weird. Yeah. Um, they were not particularly great on defense in third down or red zone. They were a little bit better on third down and red zone. Um, they've been a th- they, they've had three top ten scoring offenses. This will be the fifth quarterback in five years. Like the best scoring defense of Frank Reich's career was last year. I know he's gone now. The the guy Gus Bradley's in. I just think that's very similar to the Titans. I think they're Titans light. Their offensive line is a huge question. They've got a solid defensive line, which is probably the best of the unit on their defense. Darius Leonard's a big question mark. I agree, but this feels like a tight. They have some of the same issues that the Titans have. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I think Michael Pittman is a dime store. Michael Thomas, like I I I like Michael Pittman, but he's not scaring opposing defenses. I, in, in my mind, Christian Fulton can line up against them, and you wipe out Michael Pittman, and then you got a rookie and Paris Campbell who probably will only be available for the first two games, like. They, they also drafted Jelani Woods. Yeah, um, I like Jelani Woods, no. but he is very raw. And what is he going to be? He's not Kyle Pitts. And he's based, his, uh, I believe his co- uh, pr- 
comp in the pros was actually Mo Ali Cox, who is also supremely <laughs> overrated because he's in a Colts uniform. If Mo Ali Cox was in a Titans uniform, this team would hate him. All the fans would hate him. Okay. They he would be he is would be Jeff Swain. Because that's essentially wow. what he is. He's not anything special. People are pumping him up. You He's know. way more athletic than Jeff Swain. Like, let's. I mean, yeah, but he doesn't do anything with it that scares you. Like maybe Michael Pruitt, if you want to, you know. I, you now, here's what I'd say. I think Michael Pittman would be the number one for the Titans in two seconds. I think you. No, be the I, I, I think he would still be the well. He's better than Robert Woods, and I don't think he's better than Robert Woods. Um. I think Robert Woods is is clearly better than Michael Pittman, but people love to make the younger guys the wide receiver one, so probably I, I, will it's, be it's, technically wide receiver one. And you, first of all, you know how much I love Robert Woods, but I think Pittman is just a bigger. He's just a bigger guy. Both both USC guys, ironically, um, they they the, the key is like they drafted a wide receiver, they drafted a tight end in the same areas that the Titans did. Their offensive line is a concern. Their their quarterback is the guy that we're all saying what is going what is he going to do. The defensive line is the strength of the of the defense. Even though I would say the Titans' defensive line is still better, much better than the than the Colts' defensive line. Although I do love, I mean, when you when you say DeForest Buckner's in the middle and you say Jeffrey Simmons is in the middle, that's pretty similar. You got Yannick Ngakwe, you got Quiddy Pay, similar to a Bud Dupree free agent and a and a Harold Landry. Like they they just are constructed in kind of similar ways. They both want to run the football like crazy through their star tailback. Like it just both coaches have. This is their fifth year. It just it it feels odd how similar they all are i think the titans are a little bit better at everything a little bit better gm better coach better quarterback better running like maybe not better running back but like i think the titans are just a little bit better at everything and that's why i would lean titans i, I think they're clearly better uh, i think they're clearly a better team i expect the titans to sweep the colts uh, i i think the colts will have a hard time in the division and the colts are also playing the afc west right i mean they're 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 not as equipped in my mind to hang with the AFC West like the Titans are. I think the Titans are a better defense that and I think that the the coaching staff is a little bit better. So in my mind, when I'm looking at comparing the schedules between us and the rest of the AFC South, I think the Titans can handle a more brutal schedule than what these guys can handle, especially the, how the Colts are made up. If if they don't get if Darius Leonard doesn't get healthy or get back to really get back to normal, and if Matt Ryan continues his decline, which he has done every year since 2016, they're going to be in a bad spot again, and then they're going to have to find another quarterback again. Yeah, that and, part's that part's super weird. Five different starting yeah. quarterbacks in five years—that's hard to sustain. It, it's kind of—it's just ridiculous how they've approached it. You should have never traded for Carson Wentz. Because obviously that was Frank Reich's fault, but Chris Ballard and uh, Jim Irsay both let him let right, him right. boss them around and convince them instead of just using their fucking head that Carson Wentz sucks and or their eyes, yeah, you know, any you know and, brains, <laughs> yes. And I think that Matt Ryan's in the same boat. Will I, I think what they'll do is similar to the offense of Philip Rivers, a lot of short passes, hoping for yards after catch. And they're going to hope that their defense can get stops. I'm just not sure this is the year for that approach for them because I don't think that their defense is as elite as it was last yeah. year, especially with the Kenny Moore situation hanging over their head. He wants to be paid like a cornerback, not a slot corner. Yeah. And if he's not available to them or if they don't get that sorted out, there's issues there. I just think that there's 
there's for me, there's a lot more question marks on the Colts this year than it was last year. Last year is just like they're going to live and die by Carson Wentz this year. And then they get, had the offensive line issues that kind of crept up on them out of nowhere. This year, they still have the offensive line issues. They still have a quarterback issue. They didn't really address their offensive weapons in a way that is threatening for other teams. They are now going to dive back into the Naheem Hines um, sewers. They got injury problems, age problems all across the defense. I mean, that's a. I bet that is probably the oldest defense in the league. I bet right now. And I'm just yeah. thinking well, off the top Gil- of my head. I think so. With Gilmore, um, obviously signing there, they've got a couple of younger players that are going to be free agents. Like you mentioned, more you got the Willis kid is a nice player. He's going to be a free agent. They got some pieces that could make some cash. I, um, I, what I find interesting, it, like again, Darius Leonard, June seventh was the back surgery, so that's just a couple of weeks ago. Um, the idea is he's not going to get any work done on the ankles because the idea is the back would save him from having to do work on the ankle. So again, I think he and Matt Ryan are like the two, like if Darius Leonard's fully healthy and Matt Ryan's arm still works, I think the Colts are an 11 win team that can make the playoffs and win the division. If Matt Ryan's arm has continues to fall off and Darius Leonard misses six or seven games with injury, then I don't believe that they have enough to overcome the Titans because I think the Titans are in a better situation across the board. So I, I think things have to go perfectly for the Colts to beat the Titans. The Titans can make some mistakes and still beat the Colts. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it. You know, Matt Ryan is 37. They have Nick Foles as the backup at 33. Dennis Kelly's there at 32. Rodney McLeod is at 32. Stephon Gilmore is 32. I mean, it's a pretty old defense. A bunch of people that are, you know, 28 and over. You know, Mo Alley Cox, you know, we talked about him for a little bit. He's 29. I mean, he's no spring chicken. I mean, I'm just saying this team's got an issues all over the field where I think safety is a big concern. And when you're talking about, again, going against the AFC South, when you don't have, they just had their one of their better safeties retired. When you don't have people that you can trust or are skillful in the back, like, you know, a Kevin Byard or Armani Hooker, these Josh Allens, Russell Wilsons, Justin Herberts, those guys are going to take advantage of you going deep and they have the power to go deep. And I think that's where this team is going to be susceptible on defense is going deep. It does look like Julian Blackman, who I think had the Achilles injury last year, looks like he's going to be back fully healthy for, for training camp. Darius Leonard's going to miss some training camp. They say he's going to be healthy for the regular season, but he's already scheduled to miss training camp. So not that he needs reps or whatever, but like, well, uh, when you're a back injury, yeah. back yeah. surgery, what can you, you're going to have a half, have to have a little bit of time to get back into shape. Yeah. And to really feel comfortable with taking those hits, too, and delivering the hits. I, I think part of my hesitancy to sort of not eliminate the Colts, because I'm not, I'm, I think they're going to be a, a team with a winning record. I just think the NFL, this natural thing that happens in the league where everybody's pretty damn close. And if you get one injury to go your way, you can be an 11 win team. If one injury goes the other way, you could be an eight win team. Like I, I just think they, they have a, they've, they've won a lot of games the last four years, they've not won enough to be as good as the Titans, but this is not, this is not some hack franchise. Again, I think the one and one area where the Titans are supremely better is ownership. <laughs> like it's not, right. it's not even close. Amy Adams drunk blows Jim Irsay out of the water, probably a better singer too um, than Jim. So it, it's, that's the one thing where I go, if you go in top down organizational structure, I would take the Titans in a heartbeat. I think their defense is better. Uh, you know, all the other things on the offense feel very similar. Like, 
I think most teams look at the Titans and Colts defensively, and they're not overwhelmed by the skill position players outside of Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. I think that's how most defensive coordinators are going to look at both teams. I, I, I think about the Colts this way. You, you, you say that they're not a scrub team or something. I'm not saying that they are or anything, but they are very close. They could easily become a scrub team if yeah. Matt Ryan isn't who he's supposed to be or if he gets injured and then it's Nick Foles, you know, going out there. If Michael Pittman goes down with an injury, they're, you're ta- or Jonathan Taylor, scrub team. They have at least two or three guys that if just one of them goes down with injury, I think you're talking about a losing season where – we saw the Tennessee Titans get through 91 guys and still get to 12 and five. And I think that's the difference. I don't think this is a mentally tough team. And I don't think that I, I think that if the quarterback thing fails again, we kind of have to start analyzing this Colts team from a different perspective. And that is yeah. Andrew Luck's not here. Uh, Peyton Manning's not here. This is a, a middling team for all eternity until they find a quarterback. And then by then you're going to have other problems and issues. They're kind of in like, if you don't win a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan, what, what do you do? Yeah. You know I mean, it's like you have to win a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan. If you're the Colts, because that's what they want, right? If you are an, another nine and eight season yeah. and after you did the Carson Wentz thing, I have to think that even though, f- I have to think Frank Reich is going to see the door because Jim Ursay wants Super Bowls. Jim Ursay, the owner, has Super Bowl expectations, even with Matt Ryan, and they have to show considerable progress. They cannot, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard cannot have another middling season, and I think they will. And I think that's bad, great for the Titans, bad <laughs> for the Colts. Yeah, I don't think it long term. My my prognosis long term for the Colts is is different. I think they can be good this year, good ish. But I think like you're not going to be bad enough unless all the all hell breaks loose and all the wheels come off. Like then they could be bad enough to maybe draft in the top five or eight and get a quarterback. But I don't think like how are they going to be bad enough to get a good quarterback? Like I don't know. Exactly. That's, that, that's kind of what they're doing here. Is they're like they're dicking around and like they're staying sustainable. They're staying winnable, but they're not ever they have no upside like i agree with that they don't have any any super bowl upside with matt ryan in my opinion so um okay all right any, anything else on the colts you want to throw out there well i'm just um, looking as they play can't they go kansas city tennessee denver broncos at denver so kansas city and tennessee are at home they could and then they open with the texans and jacksonville away game so they have two away games to start the year then kansas city at home tennessee at home you know, you you could easily look at be looking at a one or two win team by the time October sixth, or by the time that you're at the middle of October. Yeah, and if that happens, then all all bets are off on yeah. on, on how the season ends. This is what's weird about the NFL. Like, you can see a bad team surge early, and they'll sustain it because they've surged early. And you can see a good, a supposedly good team struggle early, and it just ends up in disaster. Like that's the nature of life in the NFL. It's just that's what makes it so. Uh, unpredictable so we'll get to some uh, sec east quarterback stuff here in just a minute again reminder our uh, great and wonderful amazing sponsors the kingston group we are not in the cast collective studio today because of some you know guitar picking superstar took our spot but whatever we're not we're not angry but we'll be petty about it it's fine um and then some big news happened today uh thursday morning arch manning which you could argue is the most high profile recruit in the history of college football decided to go to texas and Zach, my two here, are my two 
important takes that I think people need to, to consider with this. Uh, number one, he could have gone to Alabama, Georgia, Ole Miss, and a couple of other places, basically anywhere he wanted. And of all the places he picked, the most interesting and objectively best storylines were him going to Texas because he is going to say no to Nick Saban, no to Kirby Snart, no to a bunch of SEC teams that all of his family members have played at, <laughs> and then go to a place that is going to come into the league and get to play all of those teams. So that is what I find interesting. I think that is objectively the best. If you're not a Texas fan, I know you know one of those guys <laughs> who's very excited about Arch Manning. If you are not a fan of any of these teams, the most interesting place for him to go is Texas, like by far. Whether, yeah, he fail, for, whether he fails or whether he wins. Yeah, for a storyline perspective, that first 2023 season, you couldn't have asked for anything better. You know, they have two top recruits already on the roster in Quinn Ewers, and I can't remember the other guy that's on their on the roster. Hudson but, Card, is that yeah, right? Yeah, something like that. It was Card. What a Texas name, Hudson uh, Card. But so they already have two top recruits. Then they get this guy, uh, Arch Manning. Here, here's my thing about this whole thing. And this is kind of my deal. I don't, this is why I don't get up in arms with recruits. He could be supremely just average, right? I mean, we don't know what he's, yeah, we don't know what he's going to be coming in. And everybody's like, oh, well, you know, in 2023, Texas back because Texas back every year. (laughs) But I look at him and I look at Peyton and I look at Eli and their college careers and I look at Arch. He doesn't have the forehead or the head. He doesn't have the features. So I think he's not going to be that great. Just well, it's, based it's on covered. That. It's covered up by the Bama bangs though. Like he still uh, has got young... cut, cut the hair. Yeah. He still you want me to believe in you cut the hair. <laughs> I think Eli posted a photo like yesterday or whatever. And it's like, it's like, it's like Peyton, Eli, Cooper, Archie. I don't know who the other one is. It looks like a younger sibling or grandson of Ar- Archie Manning. And then Arch next to Eli, and they are literally all wearing the exact same polo and the exact same pair of khaki shorts. And he has the the Bama bangs that's covering the the, the forehead. I, I don't know if you cut the bangs, do you lose your superpowers? I don't know. That's generally that's what happens when you play quarterback. I I I think by choosing Texas, he's destined himself for now because there he could easily still transfer and decommit and change commitments oh, yeah. and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. For now, I think he's setting himself up for failure because I just think Texas has some bad juju they can't get out of, and I don't think I I I don't think that he's enough to get them out of their own way. They they have so many defensive issues that they keep popping up. They have issues of offensive weaponry by the time twenty twenty three rolls around. I'm just not as sold that this is some savior or some. Like to me, it's like uh, what you said at the beginning of the show that's ground changing or something. You said something, you made it seem like some, hyper, some hyperbolic nonsense. Yeah. And that, to me, it's like uh, we'll see in 2023. Is it the most interesting? Sure. Could it end up being the biggest disaster? Sure. Could it end up working? Yeah. But I mean, we got to wait and see what these guys are. I'm not going in here and thinking that just because 247 sports, you know, put in that he's a 1.0 or whatever he is in the recruitment scale that they have judging high schoolers. He's, he's, he's pretty good. Yeah. But we'll I mean, see. I mean, I mean Trevor we'll, Lawrence, see, we'll see in 2023. I know Bryce young was the number one player in the nation. Trevor Lawrence was the number one player in the nation. Like the guys who are Tim Tebow was the number one, t- like they're, the guy Vince young, like the guys that end up being great generally are ranked pretty highly uh, coming out of high school, but you're right. It's, it's, 
you know, you never really know until the lights come on. I will say Steve Sarkeesian is a brilliant offensive mind with a very creative, very effective offense. So I, I think that's a good, that's why he ends up going to a place like that is that he's got an offense he can run, but let's forget all of the actual like guesswork on whether or not he's going to be good or not, because we're going to find out when he goes to Texas in a year. Here's the other thing about this. That's it. That, again, I find the, the more interesting stuff is not on the field to me. The more interesting stuff is like if he plays in the SEC when they join the SEC, number one. And number two, he's not going to a traditional power. That's good for everybody, right? Bama doesn't get richer. Georgia doesn't get richer. So that's a good thing. But here's the other thing. He might be the only prospect that I can ever that, – that you, you could not create a better prospect in a laboratory to actually be worth more as a college quarterback than his first NFL rookie contract. He might be worth more through NIL as a co- – like before even getting to college – than his first year deal. If that's he was just because of his namesake, right? I mean, exactly. like exactly. at this point, that's what I kind of worry about some of these scorings and all these people saying that he's great and everything. It's because Manning was attached to his last name. I'm sure that he would probably still be just as talented because obviously he has physical gifts and all this stuff. But I feel like this is this stuff always gets overblown because it's it's a Manning. And We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. But that's why, you know, you say that about the NILs because it's his last name. He's going to yes. get all the deals because of his last name. And well, he's at Texas, which is the biggest, most powerful athletic department in the country, whether they can win football games or not, um, that they are. And in a state that is just filthy rich with football money, like just absolutely filthy rich. And and again, when your grandfather's Archie and your two uncles are Peyton and Eli, you, you've been created out of a laboratory to be marketable. Like that, that's what you are. And he's and he's kept everything extremely close to the vest. This is a guy who's got like fifteen thousand followers on Twitter. Has never tweeted one time. Never never put out a single reason for you to follow. Because people are sick. Yeah, I, they're, they're sick yes. in the head. They're so they're so twisted. So I, I think there is so much intrigue around Arch Manning that has nothing to do with how he plays on the field. It is about NIL. It's about realignment. It's about Texas. It's about you know Bama and and Steve Sarkeesian. Like it's about all the other stuff that makes it like a dramatic reality TV show. And not like, oh, he's actually going to, you know, win an SEC championship, which maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can live up to the name, because, I mean, Eli didn't win an SEC championship. Let's just throw that out there. No. And that's obviously my University of Memphis Tigers intercepted him four times in the opening (laughs) season of 2003. Uh, your University of Memphis Tigers yeah. also beat Peyton Manning in the Liberty Bowl out, out there uh, back in the Texas 90s. Texas Paradise be scheduling up Memphis in 2023. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Um, what's interesting is, like, yeah, well, I mean, Ole Miss, you don't win championships at Ole Miss, so that's different. So we'll, there's no expectations to win championships at Ole Miss. Um, uh, I mean, let's be honest. You you win one championship way back in the day with Texas. So let's not act like Texas is some big, uh, you know, threat and force uh, in the landscape. Well, so, uh, so Ole Miss won a national championship in 1964 before integration, um, or 1963. Texas went to two BCS national title games this millennial and won one of them. So they've been better than Tennessee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not putting. It's they're kind of like Oklahoma to me. They may be good, but they're never going to be in the, in the championship for a long time. I, I, like. I, I, I do think that. Texas and Oklahoma do not quite understand fully what they're getting themselves into just yet yeah. on, on the field in particular, when it comes to defensive linemen, I think that is what they are going to learn about. They're going to struggle, not building team their team yeah. defensively. They're going to, they, they're, they're yes. going to have to do that. 
That, that's that's what's going to have to change. Real quickly before we get to SEC East quarterback pressure cooker here, uh, Donovan uh, asks on on uh, on YouTube. He joined late. Wants to know about the wide receiver core. Who has the advantage, Titans or Colts? Don't answer that, Zach. Here's what I would suggest to Donovan and everyone else who missed the beginning of the show. First of all, show up on time. Number two, uh, the podcast and or the YouTube page will have the entire conversation for you posted here momentarily as soon as the show's over. So go check out the uh, entire episode. How about that? Yeah, I'm not. Gonna, I, is it or is it okay? Is it okay? To, is it okay? Is it okay not to answer the question? <laughs> well, I mean, I think the Titans do because I think they have. Uh, I think they're they're kind of while they're not top, at the top. They, they, I think they are just better. It's kind of hard to describe, but their their one, two, and three is infinitely better than the Colts one, two, and three. They may not I, have the best wide receiver, yeah. and that may be arguably Michael Pittman, even though I think it could be Robert Woods. But I think once you get down after the number one, the Titans are clearly better. Yeah, I, I think if you packaged, I don't know, like the tight end cores, I think the Titans get a slight edge with Hooper at number one, but the core is about the same. See, now we're answering the question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's okay to answer the question because that we didn't really answer the question in the That's previous fair. thing. So I think if you count Hines as a receiver, like, you know, I think that adds some value to their receiving core because that's what they use him as. I think Hooper is better than anything they have. I think Chig and Jelani Woods are kind of similar. I think Chig is going to have a way better rookie year. Now, they may that's have possible. similar career arcs, but I think that Chig is yeah, he seems to be more pro ready. I just that's that's totally fair. I just mean right now today, there are two rookies with a lot of athletic ability that are coming in to run first offense. Like they're just kind of similar right now. And we'll see what happens when they get onto the field. Pittman's probably a slight edge number one, but Burks could be better. And Robert Woods is a freaking ultra professional. He's way better than anything they've got at number two. So that would be the quick, the quick and dirty of it. But Donovan, still, please, one o'clock, show up and uh, listen to the pod and watch the, the full video on the YouTube screen there, get the notifications turned on so you don't miss any of the episode on, on Monday uh, next week. Thank you for, for chiming in, though, Donovan. Um, all right. You want to take us into this SEC quarterback pressure cooker here? Yeah, I mean, this kind of popped up because I was thinking what quarterback in the entire SEC probably has the most pressure on him right now to perform at a high level this year. And then you started naming off all the SEC East quarterbacks, and there's quite a few of them that have a little bit of pressure to them. And in my mind... And I'll start us off. Spencer Rattler has the most to lose. He has the most pressure on him because he is the the named guy, the big acquisition into the SEC that came over from Oklahoma. He has the personality that everybody has hated, and he has let his immaturity show. And his draft stock has probably plummeted from last year, heading into last year's draft, where he was technically – could have been the number one quarterback before the season it's the college season had started and now you're talking about that he could be a third round pick fourth round pick if he doesn't get his back together so for money wise and for the future of his career i don't think that there's anybody in the sec east that has as much pressure on them as spencer rattler to perform i could be on board with that uh as far as who's number one on the list i think that's fair to talk about and he's doing it for you know and again we had shane beamer on fringe element this week so go check out the conversation we talked about spencer rattler with the head coach of south carolina so go check out fringe element of course youtube and and podcast uh, i think you're right that he is under the most amount of pressure to sort of reestablish his brand and then re make all that money <laughs> he was supposed to have but i th he, i broke him into categories and i want to see what you think because i think 
there's a lot of pressure on almost all these guys, but for different reasons. Right. And I want to, so I'll start with Stetson Bennett just right out of the gate. And that's because he already has a ring, but he still feels disrespected. I think he's still disrespected by most fans, Georgia fans, college football fans. Georgia fans are even like, well, but what if we had JTD? Like, it's still so odd to me that Georgia fans are talking about that. So he has not a lot of pressure on him, but he is the defending national champ coming back. And there, there is an, an expectation that Georgia is going to get back to the playoff and win another SEC title. Well, I kind of, I don't know, remember where I was at, but I was somewhere at a, at a, at a restaurant and the, um, I think it was ax throwing and, um, the, they had the Georgia, the, I guess the red and white or red and gray game that they do or whatever. And that number 15 for Georgia, the quarterback, I guess the backup quarterback to, uh, Stetson Bennett, he threw a dime down the field. It was it as deep as 50 yards or whatever, and I was like, I don't know who that guy is, but he should be playing over Stetson <laughs> was it, Bennett. Was it Brock Vandegrift? No, it wasn't Vandegrift. <laughs> they, yeah, they've, they've got another five-star coming in this year. Who is, I think his name is Gunner. So they've got Stetson, Gunner, and Brock. It's like a lacrosse Gun, team. I think like Gunner team. was who it was. Yeah, I think it's Gunner. But they, I'm, I'm looking at Stetson Bennett, and it's kind of like – I kind of look at him like A.J. McCarron when A.J. McCarron is at Alabama. He's good. He's fine. But he's not nothing spectacular. He's no, you know, after it was like Blake Sims was after, I believe, A.J. McCarron, if I got that right. And yep, Blake yep. Sims was a little bit more exciting than A.J. McCarron. He's just not exciting. He's he's vanilla ice cream. He's Yeah, but he runs the ball pretty the well. Yeah, he, th- I, he, threw, he was third in the nation at 10 yards per attempt, so he made big plays. He runs the ball a little bit. I think the pressure for him is to, to your point, to keep his job. Yeah. I think that's the pre- like to like. Uh, I didn't. I think this sucks. I think this is unfortunate for him that whatever he did last year, winning a national championship, beating Alabama for a ring, still isn't good enough for people. Like I think that's the weird pressure he's under. But that's the least amount of pressure of anybody in the division. Uh, here's my other category. The, these battles will decide the entire season. <laughs> Vanderbilt has Mike Wright and and Ken Seals. And then you got Brady Cook battling with the host of guys from Missouri. And both of those entire seasons could hinge on who they decide. So lots of pressure on the coaching staff to decide who there's going to be. And, and so that's kind of its own. We don't know who those guys are going to be. Here's a question. And Donovan asked about this already. Here's my reason I would put Hendon Hooker and Will Levis into this conversation with Spencer Rattler. Because number one, expectations for both teams are off the charts. Way higher than last year. And I think the offenses for both teams are going to have to, especially Tennessee are going to have to be perfect for them to reach those expectations. So Hendon hooker has to be almost perfect for Tennessee to get to eight or nine wins because the defense ain't going to help him. At least will Levis has a little bit of help on defense, but will Levis has to be perfect because he's replacing all kinds of receivers and a lot of people on defense and his offensive coordinator. So both those guys, both of them are potentially making first round draft pick type of money next year. I don't see it with Hendon hooker, but, but it's possible. So the, the pressure for Kentucky and Tennessee is that they are preseason top 25 teams where almost all of that is dependent on how the quarterback plays. It, does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I think I think they're both right there, right under Spencer Rattler. But I also think that yeah. Will Levis and this uh, and Kentucky team, they got to take that next step. I understand that they got 10 wins, but they, were, they weren't that great in the SEC. At some point, if you are wanting to take that next step, you have to be great in the SEC. And they went, I believe, 5-3 and three last year. And they you look at the schedule of SEC teams they have, the Florida, Florida, Ole Miss, 
South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Georgia. You got to go six and two or seven and one if you want to be, yeah, making that next step. And that's yep. same for UT, right? UT's got to get in that same situation. Yep. That you're right. Both those teams' success will depend on these quarterbacks thriving in a system that, or on a team that really doesn't possibly have the greatest upside for a quarterback. Obviously, Hendon Hooker does have, you know, a great well, offense, yeah, a great offensive more, yeah. coach, but how? what's Mark Stoops going to be able to do with no Wandell Robinson being out there who garnered about, like, what, 70%, 60%, 66% of their offensive production, I think? He yeah, was, was over, 100, over 100 catches, set a school record, and I think it's, like, fifth all-time in SEC history in number of receptions, something like that. But... Uh, well, it's, what's interesting is Hooker, Levis, and Rattler all transfers. You know, Hooker comes from Virginia Tech, Levis comes from Penn State, and now Rattler from Oklahoma. And now, now what's fascinating about Kentucky's offense in general is they went, they they evolved. Because remember, we talked about Georgia, like how can they evolve right on offense? We've talked about this with the Titans. How do they evolve on offense? Georgia kind of did that by hiring Jeff Munkin, who came, or Todd Munkin, who came in, tweaked the system. They got a little bit more explosive last year. It helped. Uh, Kentucky went and hired Liam Combe from from the Rams. He was in Kentucky for one year implementing a pro-style offense and then went back to the Rams, unfortunately missed out on a ring. Um, then he went and hired Rich Scarangello from the Kyle Shanahan tree to replace him from the Niners. So he's bringing in another pro quarterback uh, quarterback guru to see if that works with Will Levis. So I, I'm with you. There's far more weaponry for Tennessee, but that running game for Kentucky is real good with Chris Rodriguez and company. So both of those teams' upsides are dependent on the quarterback. And both fans' expectations are preseason top 25. And that's different than South Carolina. That, that's just different. So that's the other – and then the last category I have here is Anthony Richardson all by himself at Florida, which is he could be the absolute savior of the Florida Gators in one season. If he is top 10 draft pick good, like some people are projecting, a guy that ran for 85-yard runs and threw for you know 85-yard passes in spot duty as a backup, if he is as good as his raw, pure talent and physical abilities, he could change the entire dynamic of the division and could set Florida up for the future and himself for a lot of money. There is a lot of intrigue in the SEC East at the quarterback position. And yeah, this is probably this. We've talked about this a few times already, but this is probably the the best group. I, I not probably this is the best group of quarterbacks the SEC has ever had. As a conference, I mean, you're talking because we're we haven't even talked about the the guys over in the West, you know, Bryce Young and KG Jefferson, KJ Jefferson, but I mean, you look at it, the talent is phenomenal, and it's at this point, I I think that Anthony Richardson, a lot of people have said that he doesn't have the job secure, but I think that he does. I mean, he went yeah. 18. 24 and 207 yards and two touchdowns in their spring game and rushed for six six times for 22 or 22 yards and um a touchdown as well you just, so, you just throw spring game stats at me there is some spring game stats at you I did like a little it. research for you like this, is, this is a this is all i think from athlon sports if i'm not mistaken oh uh, even better even better yeah. research yeah. so it, i'm looking at it and i'm thinking you know, I talked about Tennessee taking that big leap this year and, you know, possibly winning the East. And 
I think Georgia is going to drop two or three SEC games. I, really? I, I just do. You I have this bad feeling. Crazy. I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't bet money <laughs> on it. I just have this weird feeling that they're not going to be they're, they're not going to be bulletproof like they were last year. That's fair. Okay, so here's the thing. I would bet you thousands of dollars that they don't lose three SEC games. So they yeah, and, and I would totally understand it. Like I'm, like I said, I would not bet money. It's just a gut feeling that I have. Like it's not logic. My logic <laughs> does not agree with my heart, right. my gut. I would bet. How about this? I would bet thousands of dollars that they don't win, lose three times. I would bet you hundreds of dollars that they don't lose twice. I would bet you tens of dollars that they don't lose once. How about yeah. that? Uh, I'm not going to do any kind of betting right now. (laughs) Either way, I agree with you, and we've said it on the show. This could be the healthiest and best quarterback crop in the SEC ever. Um, I think 2013 was like Aaron Murray, Zach Mettenberg, A.J. McCarron. Not um, as good as this. Johnny, it was Johnny Manziel, Dak Prescott. Like there was a there was a really healthy list of there was a Heisman Trophy win in there. Aaron Murray's the all-time leading passer in SEC history. Dak Prescott, you know, is a is an NFL player. So that was a pretty good collection of guys. This has a chance to be as good. Richardson is just a fascinating talent. You know, 6'3, 240 pounds, can run a 4'4. Like he is just a fascinating guy. And if if they if they activate him, Florida could be better faster than people think. And and so we'll see. I think there's pressure on all these guys. I agree with you, Rattler would be number one, but I think I think. I think Tennessee fans are putting a lot of pressure on Hidden Hooker to, oh, yeah. no to, to be near perfect like he was last year. So uh, we shall see. There's your SEC East quarterback pressure cooker. We'll talk about the West next week. We'll talk about the Jags and the Texans next week. We got lots of good stuff planned for you guys next week. So uh, where should everybody, uh, what should everybody be doing right now, Zach? They should be following at 440 Sports on Twitter. They should be following at Brendan Gall on Twitter. They should be following at F-Word Spot on Twitter. And they should be going to YouTube and turning on notifications for the 440 Sports YouTube page. They should also be visiting broadwaysportsmedia.com as well as buildkg.com for the Kingston Group, our title sponsor. If you own a home in Nashville, there's no reason not to at least have a relationship or a conversation with the Kingston Group. They are spectacular at what they do we promise um of course we'll be back in the cast collective studio so check them out cast underscore collective on the dms football and other efforts podcast all the other great shows from broadway sports and from 440 as well rate review subscribe and share the product tell everybody that you know have a great weekend everybody enjoy yourself kick your heels up have a cocktail for zach i'm Braden. this has been a football show